So, good morning. My name is Brady Chrisman. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the next-gen pastor here at the Medina campus. Um, So on a usual Sunday, me, the middle schoolers, and the high schoolers will worship with you guys just like we did, and then we'll sneak back in our little room. Hopefully we're not too loud and we don't disturb you too often. Um, But today, I'm, I'm honored and I'm privileged to be able to give you guys the message, and I'm very excited, but I'm also very nervous, so I'd like to just open up today with a prayer. God, you are here today. You are present today. God, please soften each and every one of our hearts to your message because that's what it is. It's your message. While I may be speaking words, God, I am your instrument. And please use me to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So today we're starting a new series, and this series is called Refresh. And what we're going to do is this is an eight-week-long series, and we're going to be walking through the book of Philippians. And what we need to do is we need our perspectives refreshed by Jesus. Because a lot of things can become stale. They can become stagnant. And when we get like that, we sometimes forget what God's plan, what God's purpose, what his power is in our lives. Think about that internet browser when it just won't load and you keep hitting refresh. In order to get the most accurate and current information, we need to hit that refresh button. And the same is true in our spiritual journeys. We need to be refreshed if we want to be in tune with God. And to help us do that, again, we're going to be taking an eight-week-long look at the book of Philippians. And today, we're going to talk about how to refresh our confidence. Before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about the book of Philippians itself. It was written by the Apostle Paul in 62 AD, and it's addressed to the people in the church of Philippi. Now, this church, it was established 11 years prior, and it was the first church established in Eastern Europe, and Paul was very, very close to these people. And he heard from his friend Epaphroditus, I promise you that's the biggest word I'm going to say when I'm up here today. He heard from his friend that these people, even though that they were under persecution, even though that they were being restricted by the Roman rule, they were still carrying out God's will, and they were still being faithful despite these troubling times. These people were people that Paul missed, people that he loved, and people that he longed to be reunited with. And we'll see how Paul is going to address their hardships and be encouraging to them and he's going to encourage them to hit that refresh button. He's challenging them and reaching into the future. He's challenging us to do that same thing, regardless of what circumstances we find ourselves in. Because as Paul is writing this letter, he's in jail. It's a pretty tough circumstance. And what Paul has learned in his personal walk is this. The more that you know about Jesus, the more you are transformed by him. He is the only one that can refresh our souls. The thing about refreshing is it has a lot to do with perspective. You know, after, after church today, I may go to Don Tequila's or Fiesta Jalapeno because us Christians love going to Mexican restaurants on, on Sundays. And I may order a Sprite or an iced tea or something like that, and it's going to be really refreshing, right? I'm doing a lot of talking. But That's going to be really refreshing because of that's the circumstance I'm in. But after going for a long run, 
I'm not reaching for Sprite. I'm not reaching for iced tea. I'm reaching for that water. In the same way that what we are doing changes our perspective on our drink selection, our perspective on life tends to change depending on what we're doing. Paul urges us to have a different perspective, and that's God's perspective. In the opening verses of the book of Philippians, verse 2, it says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep in mind that Paul is having this perspective while he's in prison. He's opening up this message to his friends by sending his grace and his peace. He has God's perspective. So the question we're asking in this series is how do, how do we get there, right? How do we make sense of all this? How do we change our perspective so that when we're going through hard times, we're focused on peace? When we face uncertainty, we're focused on grace. And when life throws that curveball, we're focused on God. Because we live in a fallen world. Disasters strike. Stock markets crash. Jobs end in firing. Relationships get torn apart. So we need what Paul has. We need that confidence. In fact, verse 6 of this very first chapter, it says this. It's going to be our key verse today. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now I'd love to stand up here and tell you that I have placed my confidence in Christ every single day of my life because I'm perfect, and that's why I'm up here. Yeah, that's not true. Not even close. I've placed my confidence in many things. I've placed them in my friends. I've placed them in previous girlfriends. I've placed it in who I thought I was. I've placed my confidence in my abilities. But every single time I place, I place my confidence in anything other than Christ, that confidence is shaken. For those of you that don't know, for four years I wrestled at Kent State University. Go Flashes. Thank you. And every time before I wrestled, you know, I'd get very, very nervous, just like I was before coming up here today. And so what I would have to do is, while I was warming up, I would have to talk to myself. And I would tell myself things like, I'm stronger than my opponent. I'm faster than my opponent. I'm more athletic than my opponent. And I did this every single match. Every single match I did this for four years. Until that fourth year, we were wrestling in a way match against Southern Illinois. And I, w I was crazy, so I watched film on my opponent, psychoanalyzed him, whatever. And so I knew exactly what he looked like. So as I'm warming up and I'm telling myself these things, I'm stronger than him, I'm faster than him, I'm more athletic than him. As I'm telling myself these things, they start playing a hype-up video. This hype-up video has, you know, guys holding chains and guys holding sledgehammers and, like, doing cool, like, flexes and poses and stuff. And so I'm, I'm watching this video, and again, I'm still telling myself I'm stronger than him, I'm faster than him, I'm more athletic than him. And the final scene of the hype video, he hasn't been in the whole thing, he's in the final scene, and he's just crossing his arms. I'm thinking, yeah, whatever, big whoop, all right? And then he bends his knees and does a full backflip and lands like this. I can't do that. So now I'm scrambling because I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm not stronger than him. I'm not faster than him. I'm not more athletic. 
right? So now I have to change it. Uh, I'm, I'm more math savvy than him. I'm, I'm hardworking. I'm going to have more energy, hopefully. And so the lesson here is when we place our confidence in ourselves, that confidence gets shaken. And when we place that confidence in ourselves over and over and over again, and that confidence gets shaken over and over and over again, we tend to hit rock bottom. And that rock bottom is going to look different for everybody. Maybe you have a diagnosis that is scary. Maybe disaster has struck in your family. Maybe you're just stuck in a rut and you can't get out of it for days, weeks, months, years. So that's exactly what happened to me. I placed my confidence in myself over and over and over and it's shaken over and over and over and it led to my rock bottom. My rock bottom again happened on the wrestling mat. It was during the COVID season, so no, no fans were allowed, so mom and dad weren't there supporting. They were watching. And I've wrestled a thousand matches in my life, but this one was different. I've been lifted off the mat a thousand times, but this time it was different. This time I was lifted off the mat, my arm was trapped, and when I was brought down with no way to brace myself, I landed on my head. All I remember is darkness. Now, for those of you that want to see it, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I have it on my phone after if you want to see it. It is pretty cool. The first thing I remember after waking up is being on the life flight. Now, they don't life flight people that have concussions. I've had concussions before. I didn't get life flighted for them. You get life flighted when you can't move. Clearly, I'm okay. Thank you for asking. But when I landed, and when I was in the life flight, and for several days after, I couldn't move. Now, after a couple days, my, my, my feeling in my legs came back, my feeling and my strength in my arm came back, but not my left arm. My left arm was slower, and it took months to heal. So I couldn't wrestle anymore, but that's who I identified as. That's who I place my confidence as. I'm Brady Christman. I'm the wrestler. That's who I am. But now I can't be that person. And so when that was removed, I had no more confidence left. From this, I had a lot of time on my hands. I didn't have to crazily watch film anymore. I had a lot of time to sit in my rock bottom. But from that came an opportunity. And that opportunity came in this church. Northside Academy, which is in our Wadsworth campus, is, is a school for eighth graders and down, all the way through preschool. And they needed a long-term gym sub. Classes were all online, and I couldn't wrestle anymore, so sure, I'll be a gym teacher, I guess. And so when I accepted this job, I could have never imagined how, the, how all of these kids would refresh my soul. This opportunity changed my whole perspective on what happened to me, and it, while it's still my rock bottom, I wouldn't change it for the world. 
the lesson that needs to be learned here is we need to be confident in whose we are, not who we are. Be confident in whose you are, not who you are. Just as Zach read before I came up here, Hebrews 11.1 says this, Faith is confidence. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence. Confidence is faith. So it makes sense from this verse that in order to refresh our confidence, we need to refresh our faith. So the question I have is this. Like, what do I do with that? It's easy for me to stand up here and tell you things like, be confident. Go get them. And I can tell you that God's not done with you, but what do you do with that? We know that scripture is truth. We have no reason not to believe it. But luckily for us, Paul tells us what to do. In this section of scripture, he's going to give us three choices that we need to make every single day. And in that, we will gain the confidence that Paul has no matter what we see in front of us, no matter what your rock bottom is. So again, as people that are looking to hit that refresh button on our faith, we have three choices. Choice number one is this. Choose to be thankful. It's found right there in verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you. Simple statement, but when you remember the circumstances that Paul is in, it's kind of crazy. He's in prison, and yet he is thanking God for his friends. We can read in Acts chapter 16 when Paul was in Philippi with the original leaders, readers of this letter. There was a demon-possessed woman that was stalking them. A mob opposes them. He was thrown into prison and the town leaders say, get out of here and do not come back. On the surface, he didn't have anything to be thankful for. But Paul says, you know what? I give thanks. If we dig even deeper into Paul's story, he's beaten, bruised, prisoned, bloodied, and worst of all, bitten by a snake. Hate snakes. And yet through that, Paul continues to be grateful. So if you want to be confident that Christ is not done with you, choice number one is choose gratitude. One of my favorite sporting events of the entire year is the Super Bowl. I know I'm not alone in that. The Super Bowl is awesome. Go Patriots. Definitely alone on that one. <laughs> Don't blame me. I was named after Tom Brady, so thanks, Dad. But as a Patriots fan, I'm fairly familiar with victory speeches. Now, while you Browns fans may not be that familiar with the victory speeches, I'm very familiar with them. But they've gotten kind of rep repetitive. No matter who it is that wins, the victory speeches get repetitive. They thank their family, they thank their teammates, they even may even thank God. That's great. Have you ever heard the losing team speeches? They're not thanking anybody. It's rare they thank anybody, let alone God. It's easy to be grateful when you're on that winning team, when things are going great. But when things aren't going great and you lose the biggest game, you're going through a rut, it's a lot harder to be grateful. 
My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Some people may say Christmas, New Year's, Halloween, whatever. Mine is Thanksgiving, and it's not just because both of my parents are great cooks. If none of you follow my dad on Facebook, he's grilling every single day, even in the winter, two feet snow, doesn't matter. I was very blessed to have two parents that can cook, and that's why Thanksgiving is so great. But in addition to that, the whole sentiment of just being thankful, taking a moment to take a step back and be with those that you care about and say something out loud that you are grateful for is amazing to me. Why can we not have that every day? Most of you will will say a prayer before you eat today. It might be a quick prayer to just bless the food before you eat it, but my challenge to you is this. Pick something specifically that you are grateful for and say it out loud. Give it up to God. The question is not, are you a grateful person or not? The question is, do you practice being grateful? That's why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. It doesn't say to be thankful when it's convenient. It doesn't say to be thankful when it's easy. It says all circumstances. So we need to practice gratefulness in every situation. Choose gratitude. Why? Because gratitude is a choice. It's all about attitude. God's will for you is to be thankful in all circumstances, are you? I know I haven't always made that choice. When I woke up on the life flight, I could have been very thankful that I was alive. I could have been very thankful when the feeling came back in three-fourths out of my limbs. I could have been very thankful for that, that I had it at all. But I didn't. So when we do those things, we're developing a confidence that God is not done with this, which leads us to choice number two. Choose good community. The importance of having a community around you that is willing to walk you in your faith and build you up when you're down cannot be understated. My parents raised me under this motto. We're going to put an arm around you when you need it, and we're going to put a foot up your butt when you need it. Mom, amen, yeah? (laughs) But that's what people that care about you do. Let's jump all the way to verse 7. Paul says this, It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of God of Christ Jesus. Reminder that Paul is writing to his friends that he started a church with. He's expressing his emotion to these people that he loves and he cares about and he longs for. And even when he's in prison and beaten and bloodied, just the thought of these people can bring a smile to his face. I'm sure we all have people in these, I'm sure we all have people in our lives just like Paul, just like the people of Philippi. The people that we surround ourselves affect our walk of faith. Let's take Solomon, for example, son of King King David, the great King David, the same Solomon that asked for wisdom and received it. Solomon was told, do not marry outside of the faith. Simple commandment. Solomon broke it about 700 times. 
And with all of those wives, all of that searching for happiness outside of the faith, Solomon's reign as king ends with heartbreak and sorrow and suffering. Even when Paul was suffering, he had surrounded himself with people that were going to build him up when he, were da- when he was down. Paul was probably a great person for the people of Philippi to have around too. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul is giving those that he surrounded himself with great advice. He's urging them to continue to grow in knowledge and an understanding of Christ. But let's jump back to verse 7. Paul says, it's right that I should feel. He's talking about his emotion. And then we just read in verse 9 and 10, he's talking about knowledge and understanding. Some people will tell you that Christianity is all about what you feel. It's all about emotion. And yet some people will say, no, 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 no. It's all about what you know. It's all about what you know about Christ. Paul says it's both. It's interesting to think about that because so many times when people walk into the church for the first time, it's because of what they feel. There's a void in their heart that they just can't fill. Something awful just happened in their lives. They have a question that is unanswerable. And that's why people walk into the church. But the thing about emotion is emotion changes. So when they don't need that void filled anymore, if they are not invested in the eagerness of learning about Christ and wanting to know more and more about him, their emotion burns out and they don't come back. Relationships are built on knowledge and emotion. Take my girlfriend, Grace. We started a relationship because of how we felt. I knew nothing about her. I didn't know her favorite color. I didn't know what food she liked and what she didn't like. I didn't know that she was lactose intolerant. (laughs) Now we all know. But the thing about just this emotion and how we felt is it's not enough. Grace and I continue to be in a relationship because what we know about each other. And what we know about each other is we have similar goals in life, we have similar goals for family, and we have similar goals for faith. For instance... The more I know about her, the closer we get. If I would have found out that she would have been a cat person, nope, (laughs) not for me. Dr. John Gottman, he's the leading marriage researcher in our country. He's conducted 50 years of marriage research with thousands and thousands of couples, which has led to 200 academic articles and over 40 books, specifically on why relationships work and why they don't work. And the key that he has found is just knowing simple facts about your spouse. Simple things, what's their favorite color? What's a meal they don't like? How many dogs will they tolerate? (laughs) 
Now, couples, this is not me giving you permission to on the car ride home or at, or at lunch today. Don't grill each other, right? Don't, don't test each other. That's a losing game. Don't play that. But what Dr. Gottman is saying is the more facts you know about your spouse, the more connected you are to your spouse. Isn't that interesting? It's the same thing that Paul is saying about our relationship with God. The more you know about God, the more you're connected to him. So I believe the more that we study scripture, the more that we can see his fingerprints and his handiwork in our lives. So when you want to give up on relationships with friends and family, do you know Hebrews 13.5? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. When you face an uncertain future, do you know Jeremiah 29.11? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. When you don't know what to say to a non-believer, do you know 1 Peter 3? Let your godly life speak to him without words that they may be won over by your pure and reverent lives. When your pain is overwhelming, do you know 1 Peter 5? After you've suffered a little while, he will restore and support and strengthen you. When you're afraid of what lies ahead, do you know Joshua 1.9? Be strong, be courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When the world around us feels like it is lost, do you know 1 Thessalonians 5? Be on your guard. Stay alert and clear-headed. Do you know Romans 15? Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Do you know this? Do you see the fingerprints? If you don't, do you have people building you up and reminding, of you, reminding you these things? Because when you do, Philippians 1 says, again, you gain confidence in Christ. So we've refreshed our attitudes. Point number one, we've, we've chosen gratitude. We've chosen to be thankful. And now we're committed to living a life of gratitude. And now with point two, we're committed to surrounding ourselves with people that are like-minded of living that life of gratitude and are going to be building us up. But we still have one more verse to get to today. And one more point. And that verse is verse 11, and it says this. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to glorify and praise of God. With this refreshed lifestyle, we're led with one final choice. Choose to glorify God. We are all unique. We're all blessed with talents and abilities that can be used for his kingdom. The band that's up here, I can't do that. I can't sing, I can't play the drums, bass, guitar, nothing. I got nothing. They are using their talents to glorify his kingdom. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, do not neglect the gift you have because those talents and abilities that you have, you have a choice to make with them. You make that choice every single day. God is able to use you in everything that you are. But to be truthful with you, this choice is the hardest. This is the one that changes the course of your life. This is the one that is the hardest to make. And again, I have to be honest. I didn't finish my story of rock bottom earlier. 
The key word of substitute gym teacher is substitute. I couldn't be there forever. So that last day of school, I was fearful. I was afraid. Was God done with me? Was he just using me for this part of my life? What would it look like now, now that I couldn't do this anymore? These questions were swirling around my head on that last day of school. And the academy had a tradition, they still do, that on the last day of school, all the teachers and all the kids, they go out and get ice cream. And so some of the teachers and students invited me, and I agreed because ice cream always makes me feel better. And so as I'm eating my ice cream and trying to make myself feel better, I get a call. I get a call from Joey Eakers. Now Joey is the next-gen pastor at Wadsworth, and his older brother Josh and my older sister Brooke are married, which makes Joey and I brothers-in-law-in-law. I don't know how that works. And while Joey and I are close, at this time in our lives, it would have been very odd to get a call from him. But I answered. Joey said, Brady, would you be interested in going to Round Lake Christian Camp this year? I hadn't been in probably seven years since I was a camper there. Here I am at 21 years old with the chance to go back. Joey said, we could really use you. Joey, I'm in. He says, okay. Your cabin leader meeting is in 30 minutes. Get there. Okay. I go to the meeting. A couple months later, I'm at Round Lake. For those of you that have ever been to any church camp, not just Round Lake, those weeks can be special. God really moves in those weeks. A month after I got done helping at Round Lake, I was at the Wadsworth campus helping out with the high school, teaching lessons here and there, but mostly just investing in the kids the best I could. Six months later, I'm now employed here. And now God is using me to invest in the kids here. Just as God was not and is not done with my story, he was not and is not done with yours. The enemy wants you to believe that God is done with you. The enemy is going to fill your head with nonsense and he's going to try to shake your confidence at every turn. He's going to say you aren't good enough. You aren't worthy. You can't do it. But when you make that daily choice to live in gratitude, you make that daily choice to surround yourself with that good community. And when you choose to follow God's will for you, because he has a purpose for you, the enemy can't say anything. So when questions like, am I good enough? 
am I strong enough? Or even, God, are you sure? When those questions come, I want you to remember Paul's advice in verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So when you ask, am I good enough? God says, I'm all you'll ever need. When you say, God, am I strong enough? He says, rely on me. I'm strong enough for the two of us. When you say, God, are you sure? God confidently declares, I have plans for you. Plans for hope and a future. God is not done with you. Let's pray. God, we believe that. We believe that our story is really just your story. God, I pray that with every fiber of our being, we look to you for your will. Every fiber of our being, God, I pray that we use it to glorify you. No matter what it is we're doing, whether we're a teacher or a nurse or we're a youth pastor or a fireman or whatever we're doing in our lives, God, I pray that with every fiber of our being, we glorify you. And in your name we pray, amen.